According to Barna, 51% of all church-going Americans are unfamiliar with the term, the Great Commission. Let's change the stat. Welcome to GoCast, a podcast designed to inspire and equip pastors and leaders to lead soul-winning churches. We have a mission to go and make disciples. This is GoCast. Hey everyone, welcome to GoCast. I'm your host, Kelly Stickle, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Tim Tribble. How are you doing today, Tim? I'm doing great. It's awesome to be here, Kelly. Thanks. Awesome. It is good to be here. Yeah. We are concluding uh, episodes from season one, which got cut a little bit short because of something called COVID. And we have some great interviews that we just weren't able to get to at the end of last season. And one mm. of those great interviews is today's interview with Pastor John Elbiston, a great friend of ours. And he is the effectiveness coach for Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, <laughs> overseeing Alberta and Northwest Territories for yeah. pastors. He travels all around the province and into the territories, training pastors on effectiveness and on church growth and is doing a great job uh, at that. And so I got a question for you is okay. when, do you ever get frustrated because something's not growing like you expect? Absolutely. And I think that's, I don't think that's just my personal issue. I think everyone, uh, once they've put investment into something and they don't see the return on that is, uh, is a little bit frustrated, but I think we need to remember too, that like God's not working on our timeline. And so, um, as we continue to work on the small things that we believe God's calling us to do, um, just putting that responsibility back on him, just knowing that he is working in behind the scenes and for uh, anybody that's frustrated with what's not growing right now is that keep doing the little things and just, I don't know, be anxious for God because he's. Absolutely. So I think it's human nature for us to be frustrated if something's not growing mm -hmm. like we expect. I think God put inside each one of us this desire to grow things and to see, to bear fruit and to see yes. things um, succeed. And I think as pastors, we get frustrated often because often the vision that we have in our own minds of what the church is going to be or could be doesn't, doesn't happen. Right now, yeah. And then you add COVID on top of all that. And now we are now what happens. And so there's a lot of frustrated pastors out there, I am sure. But Pastor John gives us incredible insights into into how to effectively grow ministry wherever you're at. Little tools and nuggets that I think are really applicable for anybody, anywhere, any church, any size. Mm -hmm. And he has proven that this works at any church, any size, because he's been working with churches of all shapes, sizes, and all the rest of it. So without further ado, let's go to my conversation with Pastor John Elveston. Well, hey, John, welcome to GoCast. Man, it's so good to have you on the program. It's good to be here. It's awesome. So for our listeners, tell us a little bit about yourself and in particular your ministry journey. You've got quite the story. Yeah, well, I was raised in a Christian home, um, went to school for nine freaking years <laughs> to prepare for the ministry. Yeah. Um, got a lot of letters after my name, learned my Hebrew, learned my Greek. But then when I graduated from seminary, I found I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Right. Uh, no, no idea whatsoever. Now... Looking in the rearview mirror, I get why. Um, although I had lots of great professors, most of them had never pastored a single day in their lives. Mm. And those who had weren't very good at it, which is why they went to academics. Right. So I had you know, a lot of biblical knowledge, but I didn't have the basic tools to do my job. It's kind of like going to dentistry school and nobody showing you how to do a filling. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> exactly. So I nine years of education, 
And then I went sort of my next season was what I called nine years of really struggling in ministry. I pastored small, struggling churches and didn't know how to grow my church. Mm. And I was surrounded by a chorus of other pastors that told me, don't worry about it, Johnny. This isn't your fault. Mm. It's bad people out there's fault. So some would say, I mean, it's the government's fault, or it's Hollywood's fault, or it's the devil's fault. Or, or it's the area I'm pastoring is. That's right. It's too, it's too, this tough soil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so got... I heard all yeah. of that stuff. It's not yeah. your fault. Right. And they said that we're not commanded to be fruitful. We're only commanded to be faithful. So if we can just hang on to what wow. little portion we have, maybe we won't apostatize by the time Jesus wow. comes back. Which wasn't encouraging to a young pastor, but <laughs> at least it made me feel good about myself. Yeah. Well, then a church plant popped up not far from my church, and they started leading people to Jesus. Mm. And they're meeting in a school. School gymnasiums don't have baptismals. So they asked to borrow our baptismal tank. We had a portable baptismal tank. It looked like a horse trough. Like, you wouldn't want to get baptized in it, it, really. (laughs) But, but, you know, I'm a good guy. You know, Kingdom Vision, you know, yeah, I'm going to help this church plant. Go ahead, borrow our our baptismal tank. Um, Two weeks later... They wanted it again because more people come to Jesus. Wow. Two weeks later, more people, they wow. want to borrow it again. And the week after that and the week after that. Um, and this was in what they, it was in Mississauga, which they called the graveyard of church planters. Right. Um, and all these people are coming to Jesus. And my first instinct was, I wonder what those guys are doing wrong. Mm. Because if I could criticize them, if I could put them down, then I could keep my self-esteem intact. Wow. So I was that guy. Hmm. Um, but then God spoke to me and said, Johnny, alternatively, why don't you try learning from somebody else for a change? Hmm. And I came to understand the body of Christ in a different way. Now, I knew in the local congregation, the hand can't save the foot, I don't need you. Right. But I didn't know that applied to the church across the street. That's really good, yeah. I didn't know it applied to the denomination across town or the nation across the seas. Mm. Um, The non-spiritual way of explaining this is I became a bandit and a thief. (laughs) And anytime I saw a church doing something well, I wanted to steal that, break it apart, reverse engineer it, figure out how it worked, why it worked, and how I could use it. Yeah, that's good. But even still, it felt like... Somebody had walked into my office, one of those like 3,000 piece jigsaw puzzles, dumped all the pieces on my desk, and then took away the box top. Wow. So I'm stealing pieces left, right, and center, but I don't know exactly what I'm trying to make, and there's no freaking edge pieces. Um, So it took me nine years banging my head um, against a brick wall, um, not exactly know what I'm doing. And finally, after nine years, I finally got it. Yeah. Oh, this is what we're supposed to do. Hmm. This is what the Great Commission looks like. And then so the next nine years of ministry, um, I served in churches that grew at an average rate of 50% a year. Awesome. Um, and seeing hundreds of people come to Jesus, Yeah. Um, which was finally to see fruit from your labor. It was so, so thrilling. Yeah. Um, and then a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity... Um, I was talking to a district superintendent in the Pentecostal Assemblies, and he said, would you mind showing other churches how to do that? And I thought, you know what, I would love to show other churches how to do that. And so for the last couple years, I've been traveling to church to church to church. I'm in a different church every single Sunday, 
And we are seeing church after church after church turn around and start growing by seeing people come to Jesus. That's awesome. Um, so tell us a little bit about your current role. So your your title is Effectiveness Coach for the PAOC, with Pentecostal yep. Assemblies of Canada, uh, and, and you oversee Alberta and the Northwest Territories, That's right. right, and that whole territory. So tell us about that role and and yeah, what what it is you do for pastors and for churches. Well, we do a number of different things. One of them is we sub- just create a lot of resources for all of our churches, whether that's online or podcasts or seminars. Um, but churches that are really dialing into that, that like, you know what, we're liking what you're saying, can you help me? Then I'll go in and do more intensive work with the church. Right. Um, one of the tools we have in our toolbox is what we call a secret shopper visit. Yeah. Um, where we go in, we go in undercover. Um, I go in as a lapsed Catholic uh, <laughs> uh, you know, to find out how do these people treat strangers right. and how do you treat people who don't know your lingo? Uh, so, so after the, the service, you know, to give them a clue, and I mean, it's a subtle thing, but they get it. Um, someone comes to me, well, you know, did you enjoy the service? Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed what your priest had to say. Yeah. Every single time I've used that phrase, people literally take one step back and then they realize, oh my goodness, you're not one of us. You don't know the stuff. Uh, 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 and they just go into to, to panic mode. Wow. Now, I'm not an aggressive. I'm, I'm there because I'm interested. Wow. Um, but our people just haven't been trained, haven't been equipped um, to look at what do things look like from the outsider. Right. Like it's, it's a basic breakdown of the golden rule. Yeah. Um, of failing to put ourselves into other people's shoes. Wow. But the secret shopper visit, that usually reveals something. And then we have something we call, this is our big heavy hitter called the Discovery Weekend, yeah. where we go in, we interview all the staff, key leaders, the board, we do focus groups, and we do an in-depth analysis of the church, figure out what are the top five strengths this church has going for it, what are the top five biggest concerns. And then, like when you go to the doctor with a concern, you say like, you know, oh, my side hurts hopefully the doctor says more than hmm, bummer yeah like if i got a concern doc why don't you tell me what to do about it so we offer five prescriptions to deal with those concerns to actually give them some practical tools um to be able to get over what's holding them back that is so good i i wanted to interview you in, in particular because you're actively on the ground boots on the ground working with a number of local churches who are currently not experiencing salvations or, or growth on a regular basis. And your job description basically states, and I, I took this right off of the, the website with um, your job, and I love this. It says, working with leaders to see both church multiplication and revitalization to move forward as a local church uh, at a local church level, which which I love, to reach people far from God. So, I mean, your whole purpose is coming in, and you're saying, we're not just going to grow the church, but we're going we're gonna to actually help you grow with unchurched people. That's right. So you, you come in, you do the diagnosis, you, you do the secret shopper and all the rest of it. Now you're sitting down with a pastor and with, with his team, and walk me through that process. All right, so you're, you're, where do you start? Because I think there's a lot of our, our listeners and, and viewers who are might be going, okay, I'm interested. I want to see souls. Where do I start? What, what do I do? Sure. Well, the first thing that needs to happen, and this it is universal to every church we go in, um, before you're going to see your church really become vital, um, there needs to be a heart change. Right. So the common disease in our churches, and it doesn't matter what denomination. I know I work for the Pentecostal Assemblies, 
but not all the churches I work with are Pentecostal churches. Okay. Um, you know, we've got a, a little saying around our office that we fly the flag of Jesus higher than the flag of our denomination. Yeah, that's good. But it doesn't matter what denomination, or whether you're urban, rural, Canadian, Rwandan, Chinese, doesn't matter what kind of church it is. This is the common disease. I call it preference-driven church. Mm. Now, this is what that looks like. Um, what color are we going to have for the new carpet? Well, the color I want. No, the color I want. No, the color I want. Fight, 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 fight. All right. What kind of music are we going to have? Well, the music I like. No, the music I like. No, a little longer, shorter, louder, quieter. Fight, yeah. fight, fight, fight. Yeah, yeah. Um, what kind of preaching are we going to have? Oh, we want more doctrine. No, no, theology. No, end times, prophecy. Fight. Yeah. And it's this me, 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 me. The church is driven by my preferences. How do I know my pastor's doing a good job? Because he's doing things my way. Right. Now, this spills over into our spiritual lives. And how could it not? Yeah. Um, yeah. So a challenge I give to churches frequently um, is if God answered all of your prayers right now, whose life other than yours would be affected? Mm. Me, 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 me. Mm. Now, we're charismatic evangelicals. We believe in the gift of healing. Good for us. But there's a big difference between the way we practice healing in our churches and the way Jesus did. Yeah. If you read your Gospels, you see Jesus spends most of his time healing outsiders. Right. It's well, true. We just want healing for me. Right. So true. So there's the common disease. It's this me, me, me driven, preference driven church. And the cold heart truth of it is God will never bless your church. He only blesses his. So you're saying it's going to start with the, the with us as leaders first. We got right. we got to change our perspective, our heart, our preferences and be willing to lay down what we're comfortable with or what we're familiar with in order and say okay the mission is higher. Absolutely. We're laying down our preferences and picking up our mission. So we're placing this preference driven church with what I call purpose driven church yeah. where we're driven by our purpose. So what color are we going to have the carpet? Well what color is going to reach the community? Wow. What kind of music we can have? What kind of music is going to reach the community? Right. Um, what kind of preaching are we going to have? What kind of preaching is going to reach the community? Right. When I pray, I want to pray for the community. When I heal, I want to heal the community. So one of the things I, I tell pastors is the Apostle Paul himself said this, I am all things to all people so that by all possible means some might be saved. To the Greeks, I'm like a Greek. To the Jews, I'm like a Jew. Yeah. And Paul practiced that. If you look in your Bible, he treats Jews and Greeks very, very differently. That's true. And I tell churches that, you know, and I'm not trying to make a joke here or insult anybody, but I grew up in the city. Country music isn't my thing. But... Amen. Preach it. <laughs> if it was what was going to reach my community, yeah. I'd buy the hat, I'd yeah. buy the boots, I would get a belt buckle the size of a dinner plate. Okay, now you're getting too far. And I would now. do <laughs> country music. Because it's yeah. not about my preferences, no, it's about that's good. my mission. That's so good. So that's the first thing to happen. That's the, the non-negotiable. Wow. Is that 180 degree shift in our hearts. So and that good. has to happen in the leaders, and it needs to be preached from the pulpit, and the whole congregation needs to understand that this we're not passengers on a cruise ship waiting to be served. We're soldiers on a battleship here to accomplish a mission for God. Yes, that is so good. I, I, I love that. So, all right, so talk to me a, a little bit about, I mean, as you travel around and, to, and visit all these churches and you inspect in all these churches, talk to me about some of the common practices that you've noticed of the churches that are effectively winning souls. So what, what are some of the commonalities that you're seeing with churches that are effectively doing the mission? Well, they're looking at things like being fishers of men. Mm. 
Um, so I've got a cousin of mine who's like a ridiculously successful fly fisherman. Um, so a good day of fishing for my cousin Ken isn't seven or eight fish, but 70 or 80 fish. My goodness. How the heck does he do that? I will tell you. <laughs> He's got a master's degree in marine biology. Oh. He worked for the BC, Ontar- or BC <laughs> Department of Internal Fisheries, and he knows at any given lake, at this week in the year, he knows exactly what species of bug is currently hatching, and he's got a fly that looks just like what the fish okay, are eating that's cheating. today. That's, not fair. <laughs> that's crazy. Wow. Because it's bait that catches fish, yeah, not good. wishful thinking. Yeah. So same thing. If we're going to be fishers of men, how are we baiting the hook? Mm. So the churches that are succeeding are thinking, okay, are we baiting the hook for ourselves? Which is like a, a fisherman who starts putting sandwiches on his fishing hook. Yeah. No, it's not about our preferences. What's going to reach my community? So whether it's our social media, our website, our exterior signage, how we treat people in the parking lot, the front door, the lobby, you know, the welcome, the music, the message. Like we're, we're thinking about people other than ourselves. Again, this is ultimately, we're just taking the golden rule yeah. and the great commission and putting them together. Right. That I'm laying down my preferences and I'm trying to connect with you. Okay, so address the, the big fear that happens with, you know, when churches start to, to shift this way, uh, and pastors begin to think this way, and they're changing their own heart, the natural tendency is they're going to get pushback from the congregation because you're messing with their preferences. But the ultimate pushback that you're going to get sounds so spiritual, sounds so right, is, okay, pastor, now you're focused on the outsiders. Um, you're now compromising the gospel mm-hmm. to, to reach them. In other words, the only way that we can reach the unchurched if we if we somehow filter down the gospel. So ad- address that, for so, especially for the pastors that are hearing that. We have this conversation quite frequently, because that's a common concern, is about watering down the gospel. Yeah. And what... I just draw people back to what we learned in Bible school. The New Testament wasn't written in academic Greek. Yeah. It wasn't written in philosophical Greek, but it was written in street Greek. Mm. So originally, all of our theology and all of our spirituality was communicated in language that anybody could understand. Yep. Any religious word you think you see when you read your New Testament is a result of a bad translation because it wasn't a religious word in the original language. Right. So disciple, that's a religious word. Not in the original, it wasn't. It just means apprentice, like an apprentice carpenter. Yep. Bishop, that's a religious word. Not in the original, it isn't. It just means foreman. Every job site has a bishop. Yep. Baptize, that's a religious word. Not in the original isn't, it means dunking something underwater. I baptize my laundry. Repent, that's religious. Not in the original, it means make a U-turn. Go down 4th Street and repent. So originally, all of our theology and all of our spirituality was communicated in language anybody can understand without watering it down. Right. Now, is that going to take effort on our part? Absolutely, it's going to take effort on our part, but it's possible to do this. Yeah, that's so good. And I mean, referencing Paul saying, I'm, I become all things to all people. His, his message that he preached in Athens in Acts 17 is, is so different than any of the other ones that he mm-hmm. preached. But he, he literally used, and we, we actually made a worship song out of it, but he literally used a Greek poem mm-hmm. in, in quoting Zeus and saying, in him we live and move and have our being. That is not, that's not talking about him, God the Father. That's talking about Zeus, original Greek poem, using their language, speaking to them uh, about their poets and what something and in language they'd understand and then he takes that whole thing and then 
brings in Jesus Absolutely. through the conversation. So, yeah, I mean, he's doing that, and they, we'd call that, well, that's watering down. I'm sure Peter would have probably stood up and objected, <laughs> you know, hey, you didn't tell them, you know, they crucified Jesus. But, but I mean, that's good. So when you talk about, okay, the common practices that you see in soul-winning churches, talk to me about some of the hindrances that you see in churches that aren't winning souls. What, like, uh, you've touched on some of it, but let, let's just, you know, sum it up and saying, okay, something that is a blockage from a, a church winning mm-hmm. souls. And there's a few of them that we come across um, fairly regularly. Uh, one of them is a problem of substitutions. Mm. So one of them is this idea that Jesus didn't say, follow me. He said, admire me. Mm. And that if I can just love Jesus hard enough and feel about Jesus strongly enough, I don't actually have to obey him and go and make disciples. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes we phrase it as prayer as a substitute for obedience. Prayer isn't a substitute for obedience. It's the initiator of obedience. But we've got a lot of our churches that, you know what? And I had, I've had a pastor sit across at this same distance tell me that we let other churches worry about the Great Commission. Oh. We're on a higher level. You know, I just read a stat. I just read a stat that I, I don't know the exact number off off the top of my head, but it's a great majority of of millennials today, millennial Christians today, actually believe that evangelizing is wrong. Yeah, it's pretty messed up. Um, but we have this, and I mean, I face it because I also teach in our Bible school. A lot of my students, the church is just made for the Christians, right? And that you know what, hey. We're the sheep, they're the wolves. Why would you ever want to invite invite wolves in among the sheep? Right. It, it does become an us and them thing, and we've we got a fear of the world, and we or we criticize the world, and you can't reach who you're trying, who you're criticizing. Absolutely, you can't reach people you hate. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. That's but, the truth. Yeah. But so that's one of the, the issues we have um, in other churches. It's it's as if Jesus said, "Study me instead of follow me." Mm. And as long as I know enough stuff about Jesus, I don't actually have to do what He told me to do. Wow. Um, and we even see that in preaching. And a, quite frankly, a lot of how I was taught to preach was basically discipleship is an issue of knowledge. And if my congregation could just memorize a set of commentaries, then they would be mature. Since they're not going to do that, I'm just going to preach a set of commentaries at them, and somehow that's going to create maturity. Right. No, that's goofy. Maturity, and I mean, we learned this in grade seven health class. Yeah. Maturity equals reproduction. Yeah. <laughs> that's what maturity is. Yeah. Um, we look at uh, 1 John chapter 2, those different stages of, church, of Christian growth, little children, young men, spiritual fathers. Yeah. The difference between a young man and a spiritual father isn't age. That's right. It's reproduction. Yep, that's right. Um, and so we've messed up on that. So those are a couple of the big ones we have. Another one we have, and this is really, really common, is even the churches that do preach the gospel, I find often preach what I call half a gospel, mm. where they end the story on Good Friday. Right. So God is a good God. True. Yeah. Um, we've messed up. True. Jesus came to die for our sins. True. Because of that sacrifice on the cross, we can be forgiven. True. And then end the story. Right. Now, there's a couple things really wrong with that. One is my problem is bigger than my past. Yeah. It's not just that I have screwed up. I am a screw up. Even if you give me a clean slate, I'm just going to mess it up again because my problem isn't just my sins. My problem is me. Right. 
But another problem that creates is when your understanding of the gospel ends on Easter, I mean, Good Friday, you get this idea that the Christian life is first and foremost about sin avoidance. Mm. And maybe I can stand before God one day and say, look at all the things I didn't do. And we have, it creates this nominalism where as long as I avoid the big do not do's on this list, then I'm free to live the self-focused life. Wow. So I'm still a Christian. I'll still come to church unless the weather's bad or unless the weather's good <laughs> or unless Timmy has yeah. baseball. Or... So it creates these really ineffective Christians. And that gospel isn't very compelling. Right. When you push past to Easter Sunday yeah. um, and include that in the gospel, we serve a God who's alive and who's not dead and who doesn't just give us a fresh start but gives us a new heart. You know, like that verse, I'm crucified with Christ now. I no longer live, but, but Jesus Christ, Christ lives yeah, in me. It's good. And we're not just saved from a life of sin. We're saved for a life of impact. Yes. We're saved for something. Yes. Um, on the Sermon of the Mount, most famous sermon in human history, who did Jesus say was the light of the world? He said, you are the light of the yeah. world. You are the, sight of the salt of the earth. Yeah. So we're saved for something. And if you zoom right out the 100,000-foot view, um, Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, we were created as a species for friendship. Friendship with God, friendship with each other, and friendship with creation. Chapter 3, we mess it all up. Conflict with God, conflict with each other, conflict with creation. Jesus came to reconcile all things to himself. And if you cheat and look in Revelation, last chapter... You see restoration of friendship with God, friendship with each other, and friendship with the creation. So good. So when Jesus says, follow me, what he means is participate in this grand rescue mission. Yes. We were created to live lives lives that are heroic, lives that matter, lives that make a difference, lives of consequence, following him and being salt and light. Where there is hatred, I will bring love. Where there's rejection, I will bring acceptance. Where there's brokenness, I will bring healing. So that's what we're saved for. We're not just saved from a life of sin. We're saved for that life of impact. And that's a compelling gospel. And when your people understand that and say, oh, Jesus asked us to follow him. Yes. When they get up and actually start following him, that's when we experience that abundant life he was talking about. That is so, so good because, again, that speaks against this whole idea that somehow we're compromising, when in reality, if we're just talking about sin avoidance, if we're just talking about the forgiveness of our sins and we make it all about us, man, that's that's the partial gospel. Mm -hmm. You're saying, okay, we're not just saved from all that stuff, that's all good, and we can preach all that stuff all all we want, but we are saved for something, and there's a great commission to, to go, and that's... I mean that's what the name of this podcast is, the GoCast. It's all about it's all about equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. All right, so talk to us about uh, your what you've seen. I mean, you're traveling around now for for a couple of years, talking with pastors and leaders who who aren't seeing uh, growth. So you you're telling me a little bit off air that when you started the job, the 18 percent of the churches in your district were growing. That's right. We have 130 some odd churches in our district in Alberta and Northwest Territories, and we started two years ago. Only 18 percent of our churches are growing. 82 percent of our churches in plateau and decline. So like wow. one out of every five churches was growing. Wow. Okay. So two years in, how's it going now? We've gone from one out of five churches growing to three out of five churches growing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 
So we went from 18% and now we're close to 60% of our church is growing and growing by reaching lost people. Um, and we're seeing turnaround in big churches, little churches, city churches, small town churches, Canadian churches, ethnic churches. It doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit is already here on earth. Yes. He's already in all those people's lives. And according to my Bible, it's not his will that any of them be lost. The power of this isn't that I'm a really good salesman. It's when we preach the gospel, the Holy Spirit is literally sitting beside that person, tapping them on the shoulder, saying, I'm talking to you. Right. That is amazing. That is, I mean, two years, that is absolutely amazing um, and, and exciting because it means that if we have this conversation, if we, if we have this change of heart, if we have this focus to reaching the lost, to going to the Great Commission, I mean, that kind of growth, that's going to change the world. I mean, that's going to change the district. That's going to see, I mean, estimate how many people in attendance that increase that would be over a period of a year. Well, so we saw in our first year... Um, in our district, attendance, I'll give you two years beforehand. Two years before we started this, uh, our total growth in attendance was 0.3%. Wow. The next year, it was 0.7%. As soon as we started this, it jumped up to 12%. Wow. Um, we went from a district that was growing by 50 you know, to 100 people a year to growing by several thousand. Um, that is so encouraging. That is amazing. And just by changing the focus to reaching Getting right unchurched. back to the Great Commission. When I talked about um, not knowing what the box top looks like, yeah. Okay, this is what I tell churches what the box top looks like. It took me 18 years to figure it out. You can figure it out in 18 seconds. The box top is the Great Commission. Our job is to take Joe Pagan and make him look like the Apostle Paul. Yeah. Someone who doesn't know God and who is far from God to someone who has the heart of Christ, the mind of Christ, the character of Christ, the priority of Christ, the mission of Christ. Mm. We just need to think through that step. How yeah. does Joe even find out we exist? Yeah. Why should Joe even care? Yeah. When Joe checks us out on social media, are we even talking to Joe? We're just talking to ourselves. Right. You know, and just follow Joe to our parking lot, to our front door, to our so lobby, good. to the service. When does Joe hear the gospel? And if he hears the gospel, does he get a chance to respond? And wow. if he responds, what's our follow-up? Yeah, wow. You know, we already talked about little children, young men, spiritual fathers. How are we going to move Joe through that? Once we start doing that, it works because the last line of the Great Commission is, yes, I am with you always to the end. Yeah. So we're not doing this in our own strength That's and own power. So this is all Holy Spirit empowered, the whole process Absolutely. from beginning to end. This isn't about my work. It's just about me being obedient to what he's called us to do and following him. That is so good. All right, so t tell me about a church that was in that one of the 82% in a plateau, uh, even in, in sharp decline or in trouble. And, and this turnaround happened, and their story is, I mean, a, a year or two years later, is, is tr totally transformed because of the ch simple shift of focus, of, of heart of the leader first, but focus of the church as a whole. One of our biggest turnarounds was actually one of our larger churches in Edmonton. It's a church of about it's probably 1,300, 1,400. Yeah. Um, and they would see a steady stream of children come to Christ. But the pastor had believed, well, most people become Christians when they're children. So that's okay. But we just don't expect adults to come to Jesus. Mm. When we challenged them on this, and he just made this shift. And I'm going to preach the gospel um, every single Sunday in a way anybody can understand. 
Um, they went from a church, and they used to have balloons that they'd put up on stage when somebody accepted Jesus, and they'd have one, a balloon, you know, maybe once a month or whatever. Um, shortly after we started working with them, they had a Sunday, and there were 46 balloons <laughs> <laughs> The pastor called me two months after we started working with him, oh, wow. and he said, John, we've seen more people come to Jesus in two months than the previous 12 years put wow. together. Um, they finished that year with uh, over 300 salvations. This year they're pushing for 600. That is awesome. Um, now that's a bigger church, but we've seen it in smaller churches as well. One of our very smallest churches, it was a church of eight. Wow. The pastor and his wife are two of the eight. Okay. Um, tiny little town of a thousand people. Yeah. Um, everybody's senior citizen uh, in the church. And they said, well, you know, what can we do? And uh, it was my, my partner, the other coach, Jeremiah uh, Rapel, who said, uh, do you think you could put on a cup, a pot of coffee? And they said, well, I think we could do that. Do you think you put a DVD in a DVD player? He said, I think we could do that. So why don't you run Grief Share? And so they decided, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's a small town. We're one of the only churches in town. We do a lot of funerals. Talked to the funeral home. The funeral home supported it. Uh, and the funeral director themselves came, and they started a grief share program. Fifteen people come in the grief share. That's twice the size of their church. <laughs> Half of those people in grief share accept Jesus as their savior. Amazing. Um, and then they have this idea, and their story is kind of you know death related. But they're thinking like, isn't it a shame we say nice things uh, about people only after they die? Why don't we say nice things before? And so one of these brand new believers says, why don't we have a blessing ceremony for our mayor? So they call up the mayor. Could you come to our church sometime so we can just pray and bless you? So the mayor and all his entourage come and they pray and bless them. And then some of them start attending. Wow. In one year, that church went from a church of eight to a church of 30. Wow. Um, and yeah, they've seen more than double of who they are coming to Christ. Simply because, I mean, change of heart. Mm -hmm. and so, I mean, this is encouraging for any pastor anywhere, but change of heart and change of focus and just saying, hey, we're going to focus on what's the need in our community? Where can we meet it? And by doing that, people come to Jesus. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that is amazing. All right. So talk to the, the pastor listening who wants to see souls saved on a regular basis. Man, they, they, they're itching, they're hearing this, and they're going, man, we want to see this kind of turnaround as well where we are. Where do they start? The first place I would start is reach out to another pastor who's already seeing people come to Jesus. Good. Um, reach out for help. Um, these churches that are, are, are growing, that are thriving, are seeing people come to Christ, they are on your side. Mm -hmm. Like even very large churches, they will make time to invest in you. Absolutely. Um, so you don't have to you know, suffer in silence or suffer alone. And there are people who are willing to help. And I mean, quite frankly, just listening to this podcast is a really good first step. Mm -hmm. um, if you look up my name online, you can look at my name on YouTube or whatever, um, and if you happen to live in the area, I'd certainly be willing to help you. Again, our denomination has this. We fly the flag of Jesus higher than the flag of our denomination. There's lots of people that will help you reach out and talk to somebody. Yeah, so good. So good. Man, so this has been amazing. Thank you so much for, for coming on, on the program. What, is there anything that I haven't asked that you wish I would have? <laughs> I don't think so. You know what? I think we got to the good stuff. 
Awesome, awesome. Well, it, this has been so good. It's always fun to to uh, talk with you and and uh, to hear your heart. I, I love what you're doing and how you're doing it and the impact that you're having. Man, it just it makes my heart happy. But it's it's uh, exciting to see the results. And this is really what again what this podcast is about. What we're on mission to do is if we could just start having this conversation, we could change. We could literally change our nation if every local church in every community, simply started winning souls. Well, and it's a winnable war. It I is. want people to understand that. And I believe sincerely that we are living at the turning of the tide. I've seen more people come to Christ in the last few years than the previous 40 years put together times 10. Yeah, I've personally led more people to Christ in the last few years than the previous 40 years put together times yeah. 10. And I'm seeing this in church after church after church after church. Um Something that I studied years ago um, was in church history when, in 312, when Constantine legalized Christianity, we only made up 10% of the Roman Empire. Yep. 60 years later, when Christianity was made the official religion, we had 70% of the empire. Wow. To grow from 10% to 70% in one generation, the church had to grow at an average rate of 4% a year. 4%. We can do this. We can do this. Absolutely. We can do this. In one generation, we can reach our nation. Amazing. That is amazing. Man, I'm challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go get it done. This has been so good. Thanks again. Where can, where can our listeners connect with you? Well, probably the best way to connect with me is uh, you can send me an email, and my email is just my name, john at albiston.com. Um, if you reach out to me, I will certainly follow up with you and, uh, any resource we have, I will share. I mentioned I'm a bandit and I'm a thief. Um, and the way I sleep at night is I'm a Robin Hood bandit and thief. So anything <laughs> I steal, I share. Yeah. So <laughs> that is awesome. Well, that is awesome. And you really are generous with, with, uh, the, everything that you've learned and are learning and, and, uh, we really appreciate you. Uh, you've been a blessing, huge blessing to us here in Lethbridge and in our, our ministry. So thank you again for coming on the program. And I'd highly, highly recommend that pastors listening get in touch with you, uh, pick your brain, get ideas, because there's uh, a wealth of ideas in there, and it would be well worth it. So thanks again, John, for coming on. It's been so good to have you. Well, and thank you for what you do, Kelly. Um Investing your time, even in this podcast, doesn't add a single member to your church. Mm. Um, that you would care enough for our continent um, to spend your time and resources to pour in other pastors it just shows your heart. And I just ask God's blessing on you and everything that you do. I appreciate that very much. Thanks again, John. All right. What a great conversation. So many takeaways from that one. Which which one stood out to you? Oh my goodness. So uh, later on in the interview, when he was talking about just how some churches will end the story just at Good Friday, they'll preach up to Good Friday, but they don't preach on uh, Easter Sunday, which was the whole the whole thing that we haven't just been like uh, saved. We've been saved for something. So Absolutely. not only are we saved from our past, but now we're set up to do what God wants us to do. So it's not just letting go of something, but it's also initiating something. That is so good. So true. There's so many practical little insights uh, that I would encourage pastors to go back, watch or listen to this podcast, this conversation again. Take notes if you hadn't the first time. There's lots of little nuggets in here that I think are going to really help you where you're at, even Mm. 
through COVID or yeah. even after how the church is going to look, whatever the church is going to look like when we get through all of this fun stuff that we're going through. <laughs> so we would love to hear from you as well and continue that conversation. And we have many outlets for you to continue that conversation and converse with us back and forth. And so how can people get in touch with us? For sure. You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram. You can also go to our website at www.gocast.ca and find us on any of the podcast platforms as well. Awesome. Please join us on social media. We would love to connect with you on those platforms. Next week, we've got a great conversation with my friend, Pastor Jason Parrish of the Well Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Here's a little clip from there. So we took a, we took a different approach and we said, okay, um, people will give us their lives and they will, they will trust us if we do some things over time. And that is show to be a church of character. Yeah. Should be a church of integrity and show to be a church of consistency. Um, will we be here when it's not doing what we want it to, or doesn't look the way that we want it to, or feel the way that we want it to? Will we, will we still, will we still be here? Will we stay here when it's awkward and hard and we don't have all the leaders we want? We don't have all the resource that we want and all these different things. Are we still going to love people no matter what? And so for us, really worked on that idea of trust and legitimacy, which is built through character, integrity, and consistency. Those first four years, that was a really big deal for us. You're not going to want to miss next week's conversation with Pastor Jason. It's going to be amazing. I know it's going to be encouraging to you like it was to me. Also, a reminder to you, it's coming soon. Season two of GoCast coming March 1st. We're so excited about it. We're going to have conversations yeah. with pastors and leaders from all over the world again in regard to what does the church look like post-COVID? What Lots has changed, lots is shifting, and we want to take a deep dive into what the church is going to look like and how we can prepare the best way to lead our ministries moving forward mm -hmm. from here. Don't miss that. Join us again next week, same time, same place. God bless you guys. Thank you for joining us for this episode of GoCast. We hope you feel inspired and better equipped to take your community for Christ. Make sure to subscribe to receive each new episode as it's released. Let's go and break the stat together.